Another day, another mass shooting. Nearly one a day in this country. A dozen people dead this time, and a gunman who mocked the world on social media even as he was killing people in a Thousand Oaks bar. Quote, it's too bad I won't get to see all the illogical and pathetic reasons people will put in my mouth as to why I did it, he reportedly posted as police were arriving at the borderline bar. Quote, I hope people call me insane. Wouldn't that just be a big ball of irony? Yeah, I'm insane, but the only thing you people do after these shootings is hopes and prayers. A different murder-suicide rampage in Isla Vista in May 2014 compelled Democratic state legislators Das Williams of Santa Barbara and Nancy Skinner of Berkeley to craft the gun violence restraining order law. It's been state law for nearly three years. If someone who has guns looks to be suicidal or homicidal, a relative, a roommate, or law enforcement can go to court to get a restraining order. That would bar someone from owning or buying guns for three weeks and let that person make his case to the judge for getting his guns back, or he could lose them for a year. It's a lower hurdle to reach than the state's current 5150 law, which requires a mental health disorder diagnosis before someone can be held against his will as a danger to himself or others. Williams is a Santa Barbara County supervisor now, and with so many lives that might be saved by a gun violence restraining order, it worries him that more people don't use it. A court ruling separating the person from the guns means families don't have to go it alone. Williams himself once felt he had to take a gun away from his grieving father, so he knows well whereof he speaks. Tell me about the law that you and Nancy Skinner put together that has been in effect since January of 2016. This created one of the nation's first red flag laws, referring to whenever people after events like this say there were red flags about someone's mental illness. And what it would do is allow family members, roommates, and law enforcement to obtain a gun violence restraining order that removes someone who is a danger to themselves or others from their firearms for a 21-day period. They can respond to the petition at the court, and then the court decides whether to have the firearms deprived of that individual for a longer period of time. You know, some people believe that a 5150 is easy enough to obtain it, and it really isn't. A 5150 is what's called an involuntary hold. It's when you are determined by a psychologist or psychiatrist that you are a danger to yourself or others, but it has a very high threshold. You have to pose an imminent threat, and the person who makes that determination has to know what the means of the violence would be. And a general sense of the timing of the violence. And that's all a pretty high threshold for someone to reach. And in most of these cases, a mentally ill person, even someone who's having a lot of issues like some of the recent tragedies, they wouldn't reach the threshold for a 5150 unless the psychologist knew when they were going to act and how they were going to act. But to give you an idea, Elliot Rogers that issued a manifesto against all young women, even after the manifesto came out, technically you could not have reached the threshold for 
a 5150 because his threat was not specific about anyone in particular. On the day of retribution, I am going to enter the hottest sorority house of UCSD. And I will slaughter every single spoiled, stuck-up, blonde slut I see inside there. After I've annihilated every single girl in the sorority house, I'll take to the streets of Isla Vista and slay every single person I see there. It's a useful tool, but it's not the only tool that should be out there for law enforcement, which is why we passed this law. But the main issue with it is most people don't know it exists. And so most family members, they don't know what to do if they have a son or daughter that's suicidal and has firearms, or one that poses a threat to other people because they are shooting off guns in the night or suffer from a great deal of anger or paranoia. And most parents in this situation don't know what to do, but I just want them to know that there is one thing you can do, especially if you know they are in possession of firearms. If you care about them, deprive them of those firearms, and you can do so by petitioning the court for a gun violence restraining order. So this could also stop them from buying firearms as well as losing the guns that they have in their possession already. That's right. Do law enforcement know about this? Because law enforcement was called to the home of the borderline bar and grill shooter, and even though he was breaking up the house, evidently, it was his own house, and it was determined by a mental health team, that he was not a danger. Do you think that law enforcement even knows that this is out here as a tool for them? Well, I think that it's important to note that what the visit determined was that he did not meet the threshold for a 5150. That does not mean that someone is okay. And that's my point about how difficult it is to reach the threshold for a 5150. But Ventura County Sheriff Jeff Dean says on one occasion... Deputies were called to the house and found Long acting irrationally. Our mental health specialist who met with him, talked to him, and cleared him, didn't feel that he was qualified to be taken under 5150, and he was left at that scene last April. And law enforcement has what I would call a medium level of awareness about this law, but it's higher in some jurisdictions like Santa Barbara County, because we've been through this tragedy, we have a higher level of knowledge about it. It's not being used very often by members of the public. And so I hope that in order to reduce the frequency of shootings like this, and even more so to reduce the incidence of suicides by firearms, that people would avail themselves the gun violence restraining order process. The borderline shooter's mother had supposedly had a number of loud arguments But the mother had evidently expressed to someone, a neighbor, a friend, that she wasn't concerned about her safety. She was concerned about her son's safety. Do you think that this gun violence restraining order law could have applied there from what you know about it? It's hard to judge the situation without being able to hear the conversations with the parent or with law enforcement. But on its surface, it seems like a textbook example of how gun violence restraining order could help the situation. And statistically, you know, the mother was right. It's more often that someone in this kind of situation becomes suicidal than 
homicidal. The uh, number of suicides in the United States is staggering. And so I think it would save lives, not only reduce the incidence of mass shootings, but even more so reduce the incidence of suicides by firearms if people knew about this law and if people petitioned the court to remove firearms from loved ones who pose a threat to themselves or others. You and Nancy Skinner introduced this law the same year that Elliot Roger went on his killing spree in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. What was it about his case that might have qualified under the gun violence restraining order? Did his family try to intercede? Did others try to intercede and got nowhere? His family was at a loss, but his roommates knew they were clearly in danger. In fact, his roommates all moved out because they felt they were in danger. And it was the new set of roommates that Mr. Rogers slaughtered. If you are feel yourself that you are in danger enough to move out because your roommate, you can hear him lock and loading a, a firearm in his room and, and screaming at the heavens and yelling and ranting, then you probably should take the trouble to petition the court instead of just moving out. There was also a, a welfare check on Mr. Rogers made, and if this tool had been around, it, it, it could have been used either by law enforcement or his roommates. Dame Magazine did a pretty deep dive into this kind of domestic violence, family killings, for example, and found that I think it's about a quarter of women were afraid to try to get any kind of legal action, including restraining orders, because they might find themselves the victim of violence for even having tried to stop the violence, paradoxically. So here's your tool, this gun violence restraining order, but you put it in the hands of people who may be afraid to use it. People are inherently afraid of confrontation of any kind. But confrontation in situations like this could save lives. The first instinct that people have is, what do you do to make sure this never happens again? That is a natural emotion, but it is not based in reality. We're not going to stop these things from ever happening again, but we could reduce how often they happen. And I think people are understandably fed up with how often this happened. And I guess my, my thought is, if we channel some of that anger and dismay into action in our everyday lives to maybe say, you know, this fella, he's going through a lot. Someone that I even maybe empathize with but he's not somebody that should have firearms in their possession. Only four other states have this law. Why so few? If you talk to some of the parents of the victims of the Isla Vista massacre, if I stay in contact with a couple of them, they're going legislature by legislature. And I think with some of the gains that Democrats just made in, in the state legislatures in the national election, there will be more of these. As you know, the process of government and the court seems pretty opaque to your average person. So can you walk us through the procedure for getting a gun violence restraining order in California? In the state of California, you have to be either a family member, a roommate, or a law enforcement official to obtain a, a gun violence restraining order. And how close a family member? An immediate family? It's a family member, but it's inclusive of somebody who's living with you. 
Which court? A superior courthouse? That's right. And you would ask a judge for the restraining order. The judge would check some of the basic things like, are you one of the people who qualifies, and some of the circumstances around it. If there is some cause to believe that it has merit, the 21-day clock would begin. And in that time, the person would be deprived of their firearms by law enforcement. And the person would have a chance to respond and go to the court and say, you know what, my mom thought I was depressed, but I'm okay now. So either after that 21 days, the person is given back their firearms or the judge decides that, no, this person actually is a danger to themselves or others, and then they would be deprived of their firearms for a year, and then with obviously the possibility of that being reinstated a year from then. I guess the way you know I respond to the detractors to the red flag law by saying the worst case that happens if in a situation of a gun violence restraining order in a case that you know just doesn't have a whole lot of merit is that someone loses their gun for 21 days. I don't believe that that is a tragedy comparable to the tragedies that are happening. We have mass killings in this country with a blinding frequency, hundreds per year. And even though it was a mass shooting, a, a, a mass homicide that sparked the law, the reality is that more people will be saved from suicide by this. One of the reasons why you know family members shirk away from doing this is out of some weird misplaced loyalty to the person in question. And if you really love someone, you do not want them to be suicidal with a firearm or potentially even worse than suicidal, homicidal with, with one. I can speak from experience that it, the right thing to do is to deprive a loved one of a firearm, even if it's for a temporary measure. My own father and his life partner, his girlfriend, but that understates her value to him, passed away after a long battle with cancer. And, you know, I knew he had a weapon. I knew he shouldn't have the weapon. And I took the weapon. In the 90s, when that happened to me, that was your only real option. My hope is now that there is a legal means to take away a loved one's firearm when they are not in the mental condition to be in possession of a firearm. My hope is that people will use it. It sounds as if you were afraid he would take his own life. Yes. I was relatively certain that there was at least a small amount of danger of that, yes. Think about back in the 90s, the amount of, the amount of attention that had to be put on domestic violence in order to make domestic violence restraining orders known to the public. Now everybody knows that that's what you do. But that wasn't true back in the 1990s. It took a concerted effort to highlight the issue and educate the public. I think it's almost incalculable the number of lives that domestic violence restraining orders have saved in the past couple decades. But that wouldn't have happened without a lot of attention. Supervisor Das Williams, thank you so much. Thank you. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin. The Sheriff's Dispatcher Audio and the Sheriff's Statement are from the San Jose Mercury News and from CBS News. 
Elliot Rogers' Threat was on YouTube. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.